It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer, my daily podcast with the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show. Talk radio breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Be well informed. A new scheme from the government is going to force developers to foot the bill of offering a 30% discount on the price of some new build homes uh, under the scheme to be announced today. It's the first home scheme and it could slash the cost of the average eligible new build home by £94,000. Well, let's talk about this with the Housing Secretary, Robert Jenrick. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, I mean, it all sounds very promising, this. Uh, tell us how it would work. Well, we want to spread the dream of home ownership, get more first-time buyers onto the ladder. And so First Homes is going to do exactly that. It will offer a 30% discount to local people to buy their first home in their own area. And that's going to be paid by contributions that developers already make to housing on every major development site in the country. So who's actually going to be eligible to apply for this? Well, we're consulting on the exact eligibility requirements, but they're going to be set to ensure that people who've lived in a local area for a decent portion of time will be able to apply for one of these homes. When a new development's being built in their own area, they'll be able to purchase one at the 30% discount uh, and, and get going. And it'll also be available for key workers. So councils will have the freedom to prioritise key workers under the scheme, so local police officers, teachers, uh, junior doctors or veterans who've just left the armed forces will also be able to, to get a foot on the ladder through this policy. OK, so but how many how new houses are we expecting to be built under this scheme? Well, we hope tens of thousands will be built under it over the course of the department. We're currently building 240,000 new homes every year. We want to increase that. Uh, we've set an objective of getting it up to 300,000 new homes a year. So we believe if we can do that, then we will be able to have tens of thousands of these homes being built uh, as part of that target. And we also think that this will help to build popular support for new housing because we believe that if you want to build the homes we need as a country, you need better infrastructure. You need to ensure the homes are well built, good quality, attractive, environmentally friendly homes and that there's a real benefit for local people in new developments. And I think that will be the case with this because if you or your uh, you know, parents or grandparents see a new development being built on the edge of your town or city, you will know that a proportion of those homes will be being built and being sold at a 30% discount that you, your children or grandchildren will be able to use and get on the ladder. Well, this is uh, this is going to run alongside you know, the help to buy scheme. It's going to carry on, in which case the government lends buyers up to 40% of the cost of the property, which they then have to pay back. But this is going to be the developers, developers themselves having to foot that bill. Um, but this is going to provide... Uh, well, you're going to force them to do it effectively by saying you're only going to get planning permission for a new estate, new houses, if you have a certain proportion of houses which are affordable. 
Now, OK, there are big questions about the notion of what is affordable or not. George Osborne, the former Chancellor, had a very different notion to what I think most people living in the real world think is an affordable uh, home. 400 grand ain't it for a first-time buyer, I can assure you of that. But, but also, it, it, we have seen a problem with this where we've had lots and lots of schemes where local authorities have said, yes, you can build uh, these properties, these big posh flats, you're going to sell to people from overseas, um, but you have to build a certain number of, of, of affordable homes for local people. But again and again and again, the schemes don't end up to delivering the actual number of homes uh, that are affordable for local people to buy. How are you going to ensure that this scheme does? Well, look, I, I want to get more people onto the housing line. That's my personal mission as housing secretary. That's why we made this a manifesto commitment and it's why we're delivering on it within less than 100 days of the general election. This scheme is going to be consulted on, then it's going to pass into law, and then any new significant developments built in the country will have to use first homes. And so a proportion of all the homes being built in larger developments, as soon as we've passed the law, will be sold with a 30% discount under this scheme. But is it going to be 50%, 20%, 2%? What sort of number are you looking at? Well, today, on larger developments, 20% of the homes, on average, are being sold as affordable homes. That means Mm -hmm. different things. Some of those are sold... (laughs) Uh, at what's called an affordable rent, which is often about 80% of the market rent. Some are at a social rent, which is even lower, helping people on the lowest incomes to get safe and secure accommodation. And some are sold as shared ownership, which is something we strongly support because that helps people on low incomes to get small equity stakes in their homes. This is going to be a proportion of those homes. We're consulting on different options, but I'd imagine that the majority of homes that are being built uh, which are affordable on new housing estates will be sold with this 30% discount. Okay. And we think this will get more homes built across the country. The big house builders support it because they, like us, think that this will build popular support. You see a housing estate going up near you. You will know that this is an opportunity for you, your children or your grandchildren to get on the housing ladder with a discount that on the average home will be £100,000. So really meaningful and will get you on the ladder potentially years before you would have been able to do so otherwise. Okay, but again, we do come back to this notion of affordable, don't we? Uh, we, we did have some supposedly affordable homes, uh, you know, for people starting out as first-time buyers under well, the, the George simpli- Osborne the scheme, but 400 grand! The, the simplicity of this scheme is that it's a 30% discount regardless of the price. There'll be an upper limit, so obviously it's going to be targeted on people on lower and average incomes. But whatever home you're buying, whether it's a £100,000 home or a £300,000 home, which is the average house price in this country, you're going to get the 30% discount. So a big help to everybody, regardless of their income. Okay. can I also ask you about another big story in the news today, and that is the uh, report uh, into policing, which uh, suggests that basically the public has lost faith in policing. Matt Parsi, Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary, he says the public has given up on the police solving crimes. He says officers have been rumbled for failing to investigate offences as uh, as serious as burglary and theft. We've now got the proportion of offences solved uh, plummeting from 14%, which was pretty poor in 2015, down to just 7% uh, last year. Uh, And he says uh, that this this is basically uh, corroding uh, the long-term relationship between the public and the police. What is this government going to do about those, uh, frankly, obscene levels of of, uh, clearing up of crime and the lack of faith that a lot of people now feel in the police? Well, we've got to give more resources to the police. That's what we're doing. We made a manifesto commitment to hire 20,000 extra police officers. Those police officers are already being recruited and more of them will be on our streets over the course of this year. We're also backing the police with more powers. 
supporting them, for example, with stop and search in some of our major cities. We're going to be taking action. You've seen some of the, uh, the measures that we're bringing forward, for example, on offenders. Uh, we're going to be bringing forward emergency legislation to ensure that those individuals who've committed the most serious offences, terrorism offences, are not allowed back on our streets uh, too soon. Uh, but, you know, we appreciate this a serious issue, and that's why the Prime Minister's made it at the absolute heart of this administration to tackle crime, back the police, and get more police officers onto our streets so there's a visible police presence in every community in this country. I must also ask you about the coronavirus. Uh, major concerns now about uh, people travelling not just from China but also from other nine other Asian countries, including uh, Singapore, after a British businessman has now been hospitalised after he visited Singapore uh, and not uh, nowhere near Wuhan uh, in China and has contracted the uh, virus, uh, the coronavirus, and is now being treated in a hospital in London. We also have dozens of Brits stuck on a, a cruise ship, the Diamond Princess, off the coast of Japan, as now a total of 61 one cases of coronavirus have been confirmed on that cruise ship. Um, are, are there concerns now that we are not going to be able to uh, stop and stem the spread of this virus? Well, th this issue has reached a serious stage, but we have a plan. We're working very closely uh, with the NHS, who are doing a fantastic job in ensuring the, the small number of individuals in this country who have the virus are being appropriately treated. The case that you just referred to in the UK, that individual did not contract it in the UK. It was contracted abroad. Uh, he, he's now being supported by the NHS. And we're taking all the steps that uh, we can with a very clear plan that's led by uh, the medics, uh, advised by the chief medical officer to ensure uh, that we're taking the precautions we need to keep people safe in this country. We're bringing back uh, the remaining individuals who wish to return to the UK from Wuhan province uh, with another flight uh, this weekend that will repatriate the, those individuals and their families that wish to return to the UK. We've put out very clear advice through the Foreign and Commonwealth Office advising against travel to China and taking steps with other partners around the world to ensure that we're as secure and safe as we can be. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Also, lots of concerns being raised about our police. Well, a new report from Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary, Matt Parr, has said that the failures of the police to investigate many high-volume crimes, whether that's car theft or assault or burglary, uh, has led to basically well, the public giving up on the police and losing faith in them. Uh, he says that uh, even the government's pledge of 20,000 more police to replace the 21,000 they actually have already lost since 2010 won't solve all the problems and the failure to investigate and solve crime is having a corrosive effect on the public's trust in the police. And no wonder when the proportion of offences solved, it was uh, just five years ago, 14%. Now it's currently 7%. Well, let's talk about all of this with the chair of the Police Federation, who the trade union effectively fought the police, uh, John Apter, who joins us now. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Julia. Um, This is pretty damning, uh, this report. And yes, there's no doubt at all there are issues in terms of funding and numbers of police. And we, we want to go through all of that. But um, what effect does a report like this have uh, on police officers themselves? Because we do have policing by consent uh, in this country. Most police officers don't carry guns. Um, um, and, and there has been a general view that the police, you know, they're, they're, they're here to protect us, to serve and protect us. Uh, and uh, when we're told that look, most of the public just don't trust the police to look after them anymore, what effect does that have on police officers and the rank and file? It really hurts, Julia, because I, I mean, I, I represent, as you say, uh, rank and file officers across England and Wales. So these will be the officers that the public will see the most. They'll be the response officers, the detectives, the neighbourhood officers. And police officers didn't join the job to do a bad, didn't join the police to do a bad job. They want to protect the public. And, you know, I meet hundreds of officers and I go out and patrol with them. And they communicate with me all the time. That they are as devastated as the public about not being able to give the service that they really want to. But this was predicted, um, this was expected, and this was warned about. And the the inspectorate, uh, the, the uh, HMIC, have given this report, which is, which is damning. Um, and you know, I think it's a shame that they don't highlight some of the reasons, the broader reasons why we're in this mess. Um, because it is a mess and the public are not getting the service that they uh, they rightly deserve. And the government, whilst they are saying some nice things and making some bold promises, they need to go much further. Yeah, and this is the thing. Uh, we, we know there has been a, a huge cuts at the Home Office, huge cuts in the police and yeah. numbers. And again, not just in police officers, but support staff Absolutely. as well. Yeah. However... And again, I brought this up. My poor listener, who who may have been listening for some time, will have heard this a number mm. of times. But uh, in my own personal experience, being a police officer, and I've, got, I've got friends. I mean, very, very, very close friends who are you know, w- yeah. you know walking the beat police officers. So mm. I, I know what you know where where, you know, where they stand. A lot of these things. I have been singularly unimpressed with most of the dealings I've had with it, with police officers who've had to handle cases that I've been involved with, mm. um, whether it's threats or whether it's you know, incident in public transport, a road rage incident. I was, by the way, victim, not not the perpetrator. Um, just. 
incredibly uh, shoddy, um, I thought, fairly incompetent at times, losing evidence three times, failure to actually investigate anything, to failure to pursue anything, even when I produced an independent witness who had not been spoken to within weeks, um, a failure to actually, you know, to check for the CCTV footage, even though I'd, you know, I got the number of the person who had it, you know. Mm. And, and I, I have to say, uh, my big concern was, as a sharp-elbowed member of the middle classes, who's very well connected and who can, you know, get a phone call to a, you know, to, to the Home Secretary if she wants to, mm. I was a little bit worried that if I I'm getting service that bad. No one else is going to be getting good service either. In which case, is that a problem with individual officers or is there now a culture of just sort of, I don't know, sort of despair among officers? Well, I, th- I think there is a sense of frustration and despair. I mean, obviously, if there's if there's an incident where a member of the public's been really badly let down through incompetence, then there's, there's mechanisms to deal with that. What I see, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to defend the indefensible, but what I see, Julia, on a daily basis is a deep sense of frustration that officers are not able to do what they want to do. And it's also because of the demand. And, you know, the HMIC, the inspectorate, um, you know, a couple of years ago, they were criticising the police for not dealing with vulnerability very well. So that then became a priority, and rightly so, you know, dealing with online exploitation, dealing with uh, the vulnerable domestic violence and so on. We're actually in a better place there now, but that comes at a cost. Because if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. And it's all about, you know, at three o'clock on a, on a Saturday morning um, when the, call, the 999 calls are coming in and you literally, and, and you know, I, I think the public would be horrified, absolutely horrified if they knew just how few police officers there were out there yeah. uh, protecting their towns and cities. So when a call comes in and a call taker, um, generally a member of staff, has to make that decision... What do I what do I uh, deploy to that job? Because if I deploy to that job, I can't deploy to that job. That's th- that's the reality. And then it's the demand. And officers are being told if you can't find an offender or you can't deal with this swiftly, um, then we have to file it. And that's not giving the public the service that they expect. Um, and is there a big, I suppose, there's a big discrepancy between what uh, ordinary rank and file officers, even up to very senior ranks, who are, who are actually dealing with criminals on a daily basis, and and the the officers in charge, uh, and and perhaps their not just motivations, their priorities, because there's a lot of feeling from a lot of people that, you know, there's police are very concerned about uh, sort of historic crimes. Uh, and obviously we understand, you know, dealing, needing to yeah. deal with historic uh, sex abuse crimes. But again, millions of pounds being poured into that where we've got crimes ongoing right now. But also online crime, particularly supposed, you know, hate crimes, uh, people sending a nasty tweet or two. Yeah, people shouldn't do it. I don't like it. Is it a priority over someone getting burgled or mugged in the street? I don't think it is. No, and and this is the problem. And and what we will say, Julia, so you and I might think that, um, you know, a burglary, uh, on the face of it, is more of a priority than somebody getting some online abuse. But that person getting that online abuse, you don't know what else they've been through. And that might that might really be destructive and corrosive to them. No, no, but I'm not talking about someone getting... Hey, I get plenty of abuse online. Likewise, I'm ta- I'm, me I'm, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about someone just saying something about... I don't know, people are, people are getting police turning up at the door when they've, you know, they, they've just made a comment, a, a general comment oh, into absolutely. the ether. They're not... They're not someone t- personally targeting someone. Yeah, that that's a crime. I understand that. But but that's not the same as, you know, we, we the number of supposed hate crimes that 
that are, that are being investigated, yeah. which I'm sorry, you know, someone, someone giving someone a dirty look in the street is not what most people in this world consider to be a crime. Technically, under the law right now, it is. Yeah, I, and it's you insane. know what? I, I don't disagree with you. I think, first of all, I think there's a big problem. We, we, the 999 system is abused anyway uh, with things that are not genuine emergencies, but police are dragged into things that they shouldn't be dragged into. Yeah. Uh, and that's across a whole range of things. And I think we've become society's punch bag. Uh, we are the service of last resort. And that's because of the cuts that we faced all public sector over the last 10 years. Uh, and that's why, you know, the, the, the government, certainly the previous two prime ministers, should be utterly ashamed of what they've allowed our police to uh, to become and these sorts of reports to be on the front pages of our newspapers because that's not what my colleagues want. That's not why they join the job. No, it is certainly my friends who are in police officers, definitely not what they want. If you could, um, you know, if the Home Secretary was listening right now, the Prime mm. Minister listening, and you could change this, obviously, obviously you want those extra 20,000 police plus yes. uh, re returned and, and again, we've lost a lot of experience so even new police officers, they're not going to be equivalent to those who we've mm. lost. What else do you want? What else would make a oh. change? Is it, is it changes to the court system because I can understand a lot of police officers say what is the point in, in arresting people they're not going to be taken to court or convicted anyway absolutely I mean it, it's not a simple answer Julia but but yes more officers more support staff uh, given given you know people sometimes forget about the staff who are very often behind the scenes but critical part of policing critical part more officers more infrastructure but also a holistic uh, view of the wider criminal justice system and policing because at the moment the system is completely broken talk radio breakfast with julia hartley brewer and the times be well informed Shamima Begum, the ISIS bride. Uh, she was one of three East London schoolgirls at the age of 15, travelled to Syria to join Islamic State way back in 2015. Of course, she was discovered in a Syrian uh, uh, camp uh, with her newborn baby, uh, the third baby she had, all three of whom ended up dying, uh, uh, back in 2019. And she said she wanted to return to Britain. The then Home Secretary Sajid Javid uh, said, no, you're not. Uh, and uh, he announced that he made an order uh, to strip her of her British citizenship citizenship on the argument that she uh, had uh, made it clear that she did not believe uh, that uh, she was a British citizen anymore. She had joined Islamic State. Well, now 20, uh, Shamima Begum uh, has made a, the first stage of her legal challenge against the decision to revoke British citizenship uh, and she has, in the last few moments, lost that first stage. Well, let's talk about this with immigration lawyer uh, Hajib uh, Bangal, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Hajib. Morning, Julia. Um, uh, now, again, a lot of people are very angry at this young woman. Again, people talk about her. She was a schoolgirl. I see the BBC ticker tape saying she's a schoolgirl. She's a 20-year-old woman. She's a mother of three. Um, uh, she, uh, she has basically expressed no remorse, no regrets about the decision to join Islamic State. Um, and yet she says she wants to return to Britain um, and her citizenship was taken away. On what basis were her lawyers arguing that it was unlawful to take her citizenship away? Well, it's illegal to take away citizenship if it renders you stateless, i.e. if it renders you without a nation. So that was the whole argument. The Home Office were arguing, well, actually, through descendancy, she's entitled to apply for a Bangladeshi nationality, or she's already a Bangladeshi citizen. That's something which the Bangladeshi authorities denied. And they said, in fact, if we won't let her in, if she did come back again, we'll probably hang her. So it was on that um, ground that they were arguing, well, hold on, she might be eligible to apply for a Bangladeshi citizen, but she isn't one. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. 
You've been listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me back Monday morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.